All right, if you if you would turn your uh, turn your Bible to James chapter one. All right, we're going to start in verse two. We're going to read through verse twelve. James chapter one verse two. It says, "Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing." Now, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask Yahweh, who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from Yahweh. An indecisive man is unstable in all his ways. The brother of humble circumstances should boast in his exaltation, but the one who is rich should boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and dries up the grass. Its flowers fall off, and its beautiful appearance is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is a man who endures trials, because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that he has promised to those who love him. Father Yahweh, I thank you this day. I thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for the people that have gathered together to sit in your assembly, Father, and to learn your word. Father, I thank you for the for the integrity that you give us, Father, the confidence that you give us. I, I thank you for the answering of prayers, Father. We just give you praise for all that. Father, now I know that we're not worthy of anything, Father, but death, and that it's only by the the shedding of the blood of your own son that we can even stand here before you father we're wicked people and we know that oh father while our wickedness is in us i pray that you forgive it and i pray that you would make us new make us whole and make us be what you would have us to be father on this sabbath day that you've given us i pray that you'd give me the strength the courage the wisdom to stand here and to teach your people father that you've called by your name father i just uh pray that you'd give me an understanding let what i say be so and um Father, if anything that's said wrong, I pray that you'd wipe it from, from people's memory and that that um, they wouldn't remember it. And, Father, I pray that you would forgive me for, for being in error. Yahweh, we love you. We're so thankful for your only begotten Son, Father. And I just uh, I lift you up today and, and uh, lift him up to, today to the, for being your only begotten Son, to being, for being the un, unblemished Lamb, the one that was, uh, that was perfect and holy and righteous. And Father, oh, what a... What a loss for, for mankind that he had to die, but what a gain at the same time. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for all that you've done. We ask all these things in your precious and holy son's name. Amen. All right, the last time I spoke to you guys, I gave an introduction to the book, and we covered the first verse and the aspect of who James was and who the intended audience was. I would mentioned to everyone that I'd give you an overview also of the book that I'd wrote out to cover the book. Now, a couple of people asked for those overviews. I printed them off. I give one to uh, Sister Rhonda, and I think, I can't remember who else. Somebody else asked for one. But anyway, I, I give it or email it. I do have those overviews. If you want them, I have them here today. There's four or five of them. I'll hand them out. It's just bullet points of, of the way we'll study the book. So if anybody wants them, by all means, ask me after the sermon. I'll give them to you. By the way of review, we discovered that James is the author of the letter. He's most likely the brother of Yeshua, the oldest of the brothers, and he's also the head or the elder of the assembly in Jerusalem. We also concluded that the brothers that James is writing to 
in the book of James, his epistle is wrote to believing brothers in the faith that have been dispersed amongst the nation. We discover that these are not only the ten northern tribes that are dispersed, but possibly people from the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin and even Levi, that were dispersed at the, after the stoning of Stephen when the persecution of the church started with Paul and other things. And as a side note, I would like to mention that the writing of James is probably the oldest writing of the New Testament. The book takes place about 45 A.D., and it's probably it's, it's, it's considered by theologians to be the oldest writing of the New Testament that's recorded. Now, in the last message, I concluded by telling you how the letter of James was an exhortation to the listeners to encourage them, but that they not just confess faith, but instead that they practice a righteous, righteous work in true saving faith. You don't just say you have faith, but you practice a true saving faith. This book actually contains a series of tests in order to verify your salvation. And our first test of of our salvation is found in verse 2. And I guess it's really found in verse 2 through 12. And that's perseverance under trials. That's the the test that that we'll be studying today. Now before we get into this test, let me mention something here as a side note. I know that it's a heretical doctrine that we've all heard going around that claims once saved, always saved. Before you throw rocks at me, let me explain myself. Because of that attitude, one might claim there's no need to test our salvation if we're once saved, we're always saved. Hopefully in here, we all know that we can't live like hell and still be saved. And just because we claim to have been saved once at one point in our time, in our, in our lives, just because we claim that we've been saved at one point in our lives, but some actually believe it like that, and they might say, well, I was saved when I was 15 years old, and I confess my faith, and it doesn't matter how I act now, because once I was saved, I was always saved. That's pure heresy. Now, this doctrine is true in the sense that Yahweh loses none who he chooses, and his son loses none who his father gives him for salvation. That is the biblical meaning of once saved, always saved. But today, this doctrine is taught to mean something else entirely. It is used as a license to sin. The truth is that one that lives like hell after claiming to be saved was actually never saved to start with. They claim a work of their own in choosing to be saved when the actual gift of Yahweh was never extended to them. If you evaluate, your, if you evaluate their lives, or your own life, I guess, if you evaluate their lives, you'll find... You'll find it empty of biblical works. True salvation produces fruit worthy of repentance, and that is how we know if someone is saved. But if an evaluation is done on a true Christian, you'll find a person who is certainly living for Yahweh in his actions, in his speech, in his faith, in his repentance, in his prayer, and so on. You'll find a living, practicing, everyday faith, including works. I know that people say that. Works doesn't produce salvation, and people are right. Works does not produce salvation. However, salvation does produce works, and you will see them. You will see them. So our salvation needs to be continually tested to verify our genuine faith. Eternal salvation is our most important asset. That's the best thing you got going for you if you don't have eternal salvation. You're lost, and you're on the road to destruction. It's the only thing that you have going for you. And I believe that it needs to be tested. The Bible teaches that it needs to be tested. And to prove this, let's look at a few passages that proves that our uh, that our salvation needs to be tested. We need to test the way that we live. Psalms 139, verses 23 through 34, if you 
if you got your Bibles and you want to turn. Psalms 139, verses 23 through 34. It says, Search me, Almighty, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offense, offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. The psalmist asked Yahweh to search him and to know his heart and to test him. In 1 Corinthians, you don't have to turn here, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, around about verse 28, it's talking about the, the participating in the Lord's Supper, and Paul says, examine yourself to make sure that you're participating in the Lord's Supper the right way, that we're not doing it wrong. Examine yourself, make sure that you do it right. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 18 and verses 25 through 29. Let's look at that. But you say, Yahweh's way isn't fair. Now listen, house of Israel, is it my way that is unfair? Instead, isn't it your ways that are unfair? Isn't it your ways that are unfair? When a righteous person turns from his righteousness and practices iniquity, he will die for this. He will die because of the iniquity he has practiced. But if a wicked person turns from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he will preserve his life. He will certainly live because he thought it over and turned from all the transgressions he had committed. He will not die. But the house of Israel says Yahweh wasn't, Yahweh's way isn't fair. Is it my ways that are unfair, house of Israel? Instead, isn't it your ways that are unfair? Yahweh tells Israel to consider their ways and turn from their wicked deeds. And in second, you don't have to turn here, but in Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul tells the Corinthians to test themselves and see if you're in the faith. Test yourself. This is true faith. This is not a confession of faith. This is true faith. Test yourself and see if you're in the faith. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 5, I taught a series of messages, a short one, but it was a series of messages on the book of Haggai. And in Haggai chapter 1, verse 5, he always says, think careful about your ways. Think careful. Examine yourself. Make sure that you're in the faith. That's what all these writers have said. And this is, this is a small portion of myriad of passages that say the same thing in different ways. So the scripture plainly says to test yourself and to make sure your ways are his ways. This is how we know that we're, we have true saving faith. Now, I don't know if anybody's read ahead of in James and tried to go ahead or not. And, uh, but if you have, for those who have, has anybody noticed the similarities of the book of James and the Sermon on the Mount? Well, there's a lot of similarities of the book of James and the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is nothing but a series of tests. And if you read it with that in mind, Yeshua, through the mouth of Matthew, I guess, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, he's, all he's doing is telling people how to test themselves or how to examine their faith. Take, for example, in Matthew 5, 1 through 12, he talks about the Beatitudes. These are the attitudes we should have if we are believers. In Matthew 5, 13 through 16, he gives you the attitude of a believer and how the attitude of believers influence others. In Matthew 5, 17 through 20, he points out that believers are obedient to Yahweh's commandments. In Matthew 5, 21 through 48, he points out that true salvation is the keeping of righteousness in the heart. And in Matthew 6, 1 through 18, true worship exhibits salvation. In Matthew 6, 19 through 34, true salvation is marked by a right relationship to money and material things. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have material things. But it is right to have a right relationship with such. 
Matthew 7, 1 through 12 talks about relationships with your brother and receiving wisdom to deal with people. And then Matthew 13 through 23. Matthew 7, 13 through 23. I haven't been giving you the chapters. Anyway, I'm going from Matthew 5 to 7. Matthew 7, 13 through 23, Yeshua teaches us that we can test our salvation by examining what road we're on. In Matthew 7, 24 through 29, he shows us the difference of what happens to the wicked versus the righteous. The same way that Matthew teaches to examine ourselves, James teaches us to examine ourselves. That's what he's doing through the book of James, and that's what this whole series of messages will be about. How do we examine ourselves to make sure that we're in the faith the way that we're supposed to be? He does the same thing in his letters. James not establishing doctrines for our, for our faith, but he's encouraging us to practice our faith. Don't just say that we have faith, but practice it. A person who was who has genuinely found the way walks in it. He points out that if holiness, James does this, he points out that if holiness is not from the heart, it won't benefit you at all. And this is the reason we must evaluate ourselves and make sure that we're in the true saving faith. Look at uh, 1 John First John 1. I'm going to read another passage. First John 1, verses 6 to 10. It says, if, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Yeshua, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has. So now that we've determined that it's important to test our faith, I want to look at our first text here in James. If you turn back to the book of James, if you've been flipping with me, and uh, we're going to look at verse 2. Again, we'll read 2 through 4. Consider it a great joy, my brothers, when you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete like nothing. In verse 2 it says, consider it a great joy whenever you experience trials. Notice that James says, when you experience trials, not if you experience trials. The Greek word for the trial, or the Greek word for trial is the word if I'm saying it right, parasmos. It literally means put into a test or proven of good. The word simply means trouble, something like that. It means, it means trouble or an obstacle that one must overcome in order to prove good. If you think you're the only one with troubles and trials, look around. You're not. Everybody sitting in here has trials. Everybody here today has different troubles or trials that they're going through. In fact, the word various before the word trials, experience various trials, the, the word various is the Greek word poikolos, which means all kinds, different shapes, varieties, sizes, many colors is what the word means. It may be different for everybody. Some people experience loneliness, some death, some sickness, divorce, financial trouble, loved ones, whatever it is, we all experience different types of trials. This is the first test of our faith, how we endure the trials 
how our faith stands through troubles. Consider Job in chapter 5, verse 7. He says, mankind is born for trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Mankind is born for trouble. That's, that's, we're going we're gonna to endure it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pass. I mean, it's going to come. Or, or the psalmist, David, in Psalms 22, verse 11, he says, Don't be far from me, because distress is near and there is no one to help. Also, our Lord, Yeshua, in Luke 22:28, he tells his disciples as they argue about who will be the greatest in the, or will be the greatest, that they had been, that he tells them that they had been with him through his troubles. John 12:27 tells us Yeshua was troubled in his soul about his coming crucifixion. And again in John 13 and 21 that he was troubled in his spirit about the one who would betray him. Yeshua had troubles just like we do. Even our Lord went through tests and had everyday troubles. This word parasmos in James for trial is the same word used when talking about the Messiah's trouble. It's the exact same Greek word. Let me just clarify that the word parasmos always conveys the idea of trouble or testing in a trial, not temptation. Don't get the two confused. They're not the same. The difference in a trial and being tempted is that the trial is is used to test and strengthen faith and should lead to victory. But temptation leads you to sin and helps you to fail. There's a difference. We know that the word can't be temptation, temptation because in verse 12 it says, Blessed is the man who endures the parasmos, or the trial, and is an overcomer. Not blessed is the man that endures temptation and falls into sin. All right? Also, in verse 13, it says, No one undergoing a trial should say that I'm being tempted by Yahweh. Yahweh's not tempting anybody. He puts you through tests. He allows you to go through trials so that you may be perfected, so that you may build endurance to undergo what you go through in life. Yahweh doesn't tempt people to sin. That's not what he wants out of our lives. He wants to strengthen your faith, and so he allows you to undergo persecution and suffering and pain and for his cause so that in your weakness he's made strong. Remember, we're testing ourselves to see if we have genuine saving faith. And if you put a trial on a false convert, he will certainly fail and faith will be lost. If all you have is a confession of faith, when you undergo a trial, you will fail, guaranteed, every time. You won't make it through it, or at least not come out the other side being a Christian. You might claim faith, but when the trial comes your way, if you don't endure that, it's because you, it's because you don't have faith. You don't have faith in the Messiah that he can help you through it. But if you put a trial on a true Christian, it should drive him to the strength of Christ because of his weakness in himself. Not the weakness of Christ, but because he's weak, he clings to that which is mighty. Amen. So the question is not whether we go through trials or not. That's not the test of faith. Just like Job said, mankind is born of troubles or trials, and as sure as, as, sure as sparks fly upward. Everyone experiences trials in life. The question or test of faith is how do you deal with them when you're tested? What does the way you deal with your trials say about your faith? Do we run from them or hide our head in the sand like an ostrich, or do we endure through them? Are we pointed to the strength of Christ and away from our own self-righteousness when we endure a trial? He says in the beginning of verse 2, to consider it great joy whenever you experience trials. How many of us do do that when Yahweh sets an obstacle up in front of us to strengthen our faith? How many of us consider it joy? Probably none of us. 
I know I don't. I don't know anybody that says, whoo, getting tested today, man. You know, looking forward to this. We don't, we don't do that. We must go through the trial in order to be tested, and we must endure the pass the test. In verse 12, James says, The one who passes that the test receives the crown of life, not the man who bows out. Not the man who backs off, not the man who doesn't go through with the trial or find somebody else to take his place, but the man who endures the trial, he's the one that receives the crown of life. He also says, He does this to those whom he loves. Yahweh tests those whom he loves. Let's turn a few pages. Look at First uh, Peter chapter 1 and uh, verse 6 through 9. It says this, You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to be distressed by various trials, same word, <clears throat> so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold which perishes, though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of, the, of Yeshua the Messiah. You love him though you have not seen him, and though not seeing him, now you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Every trial we endure is like a refining of our salvation. He's always putting us through the refiner's fire in one sense to make us come out as pure gold. He's burning off the bad and making the good shine through. So consider it joy when Yahweh's working on you to make you whole. The test is passed by those who love Yeshua in verse 8 of First Peter. Those who love him hold on to him no matter what the trial brings and they maintain obedience to him and no trial, no trial can sever your faith if you are true. The salvation of your soul is on the line in verse 9. Consider Paul in Philippians 1.6 Yahweh, who has started a good work in you, will carry it to completion until the day of Yeshua. Paul understood ever-changing ch- ever and ever-growing faith, and that what Yahweh starts in us, he will certainly work on until the vessel is sanctified and then glorified. That's, that's what Yahweh does. He starts a work in somebody, and he constantly refines them over and over and over again until he makes something pure. That's how Yahweh does it. So we all know that we'll go through trials, but consider it joy. It might be it might be even harder than than the trial itself, considering it joy. Let's look at some examples of joyous attitudes while under trial. Let's look at Acts chapter sixteen, sixteen through twenty-five. It says, "Once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit of prediction, and made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men are the slaves of the Most High, Mighty One.'" who were proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. But Paul was greatly aggravated, and turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Yeshua to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners saw that, her, that their hope or profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. Then the mob joined in the attack against them, and their chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods, and after they inflicted many blows on them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. They stretched Paul out 
and Silas out like this. They put their feet in stocks. They stretch their muscles out, and they're, they're hanging there. And you think about it. You're hanging there. Your feet's not touching the ground. Your muscles are getting stretched out, and the whole time you're having to, you're tense, you know, trying to, trying to put the, maybe pull the pressure off of your muscles. And about midnight, it says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to Yahweh, and the prisoners were listening to them. This is a joyous attitude. They were singing. Singing, hanging in stocks and bonds. How many of us would be singing? We'd be looking for that free phone call trying to get out of there. That's what we'd be doing. But we need to sing. We need to sing when, when Yahweh puts us through trials. Rejoice in them. He's doing something great to you. And, and recognize that what he's doing is not putting you through persecution. He's refining you yes. as a Christian. He's making you better than what you are. Amen. And if we see the joy in this, it gets much better. It's not easy. And we want to say, well, somebody's picking on us, but let's find the joy in what Yahweh's allowing us to go through. It's a trial. Joy comes in the morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, let's look at it, 1 through 10. It is necessary to boast. It is not helpful, but I will move on to visions and revelations on the, on the Lord, of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but Yahweh knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, Yahweh knows, was caught up into paradise. He heard inexpressible words which a man is not allowed to speak. I will boast about this person, but not about myself except in my weakness. For if I want to boast, I will not be a fool because I will be telling the truth, but I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan, to torment me, so I would not exalt myself. Considering this, I pleaded with Yahweh three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So because of Christ, I am pleased in weakness, in insults, and catastrophes, and persecutions, and in pressures, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. Yahweh has a thorn in his flesh. It doesn't say what it was. We could speculate on what that is. And that's for a sermon at a different time. But this is a trouble that stands in Paul's way. And what does he say? He says, I prayed three times for this trouble to leave me. Not that I had to go through it. But what, is, what does the Lord say to him? He says, my grace is sufficient. It's good enough. Suffer through it, Paul. It's all right. I'm making you who I want you to be. Suffer through this, this torment. It's okay. John chapter 15, verse 18 through 20. Let's look at that. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a slave is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep your word. Why do we think that we deserve any better than our Lord? We don't deserve any less trials, any less troubles than our Lord. Matter of fact, he deserved a lot less than we do. He says, if they persecute me, they're definitely going to persecute you. A slave's not greater than his master. You're no better than I was. John chapter 16, 
flip one page right there, John 16, 20 through 23, and it says this. It says, I assure you, you will, you will weep and you will wail, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman, and then he compares it, he gives, an, he gives a comparison of what he's saying right here. He says, when a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come, but when she's given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will rob you of your joy. In that day, you'll not ask me anything. How great is the joy that's to come? Have joy knowing that the, that the suffering will end, that the troubles will go away, that the trials will stop, and you will be a better person on the other side. If, you, if Yeshua is our Lord and Master, are we not supposed to be like him? Just as he suffered, are we not supposed to suffer and undergo trial? Sure we are. Let's read Matthew chapter 10, 16 through 25. He's just summoned, commissioned the 12 disciples. He says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as harmless as doves, because people will hand you over to the Sanhedrins and flog you in their synagogues. Beware of them. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the nations. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you, will, what you should speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour, because you are not speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will even rise up against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures, there's that word endure again, but the one who endures to the end will be delivered. When they persecute you in the in the town, escape to another, for I assure you, you will not have covered the you will not have covered the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more the the members of his household? How can you be any better than Yeshua? You're not. He's our Lord. Yeshua suffered. We must suffer. We're going to keep a good attitude while doing so. That's the idea. It is a privilege to have to have our faith tested because we become more sensitive spiritually during these trials. While it might be hard to count it as joy or, or a privilege, remember that we've not yet suffered to the point of shedding blood. That's what the Messiah went through. We hadn't suffered under blood. That's what the, that's what the scripture says. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Yeshua, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him he endured a cross and despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of Yahweh's throne. For consider him who endures such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. In struggling against sin, you have not yet re resisted to the point of shedding your blood. We've not went through what the Messiah went through. We've not had troubles like that. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. It says, My son, do not take Yahweh's discipline lightly or faint when you're reproved by him. For Yahweh disciplines the one who he loves, and he punishes every son whom he receives. 
Endure it as discipline. Yahweh is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. We should count it a blessing that we're being tried. We should count it a blessing that we're tested. Yahweh is refining us as children. See, trials don't just produce living faith. They prove living faith. It's an exhibit of your faith, not just a, not just anything. I mean, it's, it's a work. You know, undergoing a trial, endurance, faith is a work, for crying out loud. It's not, a, it's not just what you say by it. It's a, it's a work. Not just that you can go through a trial, but that you can go through it and count it all joy while you do. Like Paul said in Philippians when he was chained up, it actually happened for the advancement of the gospel, for the gospels. Paul, here Paul is in prison. And he counts it all joy. They've got, him, they've got him chained up right there, and he says, hey, all this happened for the advancement of the gospel. By Paul being in prison, most of the brothers had gained confidence to preach the gospel fearlessly. Paul says, even though some teach it out of envy and strife, the gospel still preach. Who cares? doesn't matter. They were, they were putting all kind of hard things on Paul and him being locked up and people were saying things about him, but he says it doesn't matter. If somebody preaches the gospel out of strife, at least the gospel's being preached, as long as they're preaching it. As long as the gospel is preached, he'll rejoice. This is Paul having joy in his trial. But then one might say, I've been undergoing a trial for a long time. Why so long? Why do I have to suffer for so long? And that leads us to verse 4 in the book of James. James says this, It must do its complete work, that is endurance, so that you will be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Yahweh uses trials to bring forth certain things for us. It may be something different for everyone, but we experience certain trials, endure through them in order to bring about our perfection in him so that we lack nothing. Remember what Paul said in Philippians, he who started a good work, be faithful to carry it out to completion. That's why when Yahweh is done working on you in one way, he might lead you to another trial, something else. He's not put us through anything that we can't handle, and he won't put us through anything that we can't handle. What does Job say in the 23rd chapter in the 10th verse? He says, Yet he knows the way I've taken, and when he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. He knows me. He created me. He knows the way I've taken, and when when he's tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. He uses our trials to perfect us and to shape us, and we only pass the test by enduring through it. So there's no need to fight it or shake our fist at Yahweh during it. The only way out of a trial is going through it. In John chapter 12, verse 27, Yeshua, he, he didn't ask for a way out. Look at John chapter 12, verse 27. Yeshua's going through a pretty rough trial right here. Let's see what he says. John chapter 12, and verse 27. It says, Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. He says, Father, glorify your name. That's why I'm here. It's because Yahweh wanted me to put put me through this. So should I ask him to take this suffering away from me? He says, no, that's exactly why he's got me here, is to go through this suffering. When he died, what if Yeshua, and he did do this in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, if if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, let your will be done. What if if he would have took that cup from Yeshua? Where do we stand today? We don't have salvation, guys. But he let him endure the trouble so that something was made perfect. 
and that was our salvation. He guaranteed it at the at the foot of Calvary when when Yeshua was slain. Brothers and sisters, you better hope that Yahweh's testing you, that He's refining you. For if He only chastens those whom He loves, you should hope that that He's refining you to, to perfection, to spiritual maturity. So in closing, I'd like to read a quote from a, name, a man named Henry Wearsby in his commentary on Philippians regarding our evaluation of salvation through trials. He writes this, and I quote, Our values determine our evaluation. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we'll not be able to, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter, not better. End of quote. If you can't rejoice in your trials, your values are wrong. We should value our refined character over our present comforts. We should value our mature spiritual self over our current physical self. And we should value our future perfection through him over our present trials. One last verse to remember. I think it's probably one of my new favorite passages. I don't know that I know one any better than this. So. 1 Peter 5 and verse 10, it says, Now the mighty one of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Yeshua, will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little. That's what Yahweh says about it. He says he will personally restore you and strengthen you after you've suffered a little. All of our trials are testing of our faith. If you want to practice the true saving faith, which is a central theme throughout this entire book of James, then I encourage you to endure through your trials. To count them as joy, knowing that Yahweh is doing a work in you. Consider the alternative and where you would be if Yahweh wasn't working in you. I would rather him be working on me. Praise Yahweh for trials, guys. Praise him for trials. It's, it's rough to go through a trial, and when you're on top of the mountain, it's easy to say that. It's, it's rough to go through a trial. And when you're in a trial, nobody wants to go through one. But we've got to go through them anyway. Just like Job said, man's going to go through trials as sure as sparks fly upward. It's going to happen, and you've got to go through them anyway. Count it all joy. Find the good in it. Don't be so negative about it. Because this is a testing of your faith. And if what he's doing is perfecting our faith, perfecting our strength, perfecting our faith in him, how much better... I mean, if you got to go through one, they, they at least got to be something good on the other side of it, and that's what Yahweh's doing. So, so while we while we endure the trials, count it joy. The good attitude is the is the important part. The person of, of non faith, he has a bad attitude through the whole trial. He's going to have it. The person of faith, he has a good attitude, knowing that it's Yahweh working within him, making him new. Yahweh, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your there's so many blessings. Father, thank you for the trials that we go through. Father, I know we'll, I'll probably pay for this sermon. I'm sure that it's coming. But Yahweh, I just, uh, I, I'm thankful for the trial. I'm going to try to have joy when you, when you bring one to me and, uh, and praise you all the way through it and, and be renewed and made, made better on the other side. Yahweh, I thank you for your trials. I thank you for your only begotten son. And I thank you for the strength to endure the things that come our way. Yahweh, as we leave here today, I pray that you'll keep people safe as they go home and give them traveling mercies. Father, I pray for the ones that were in the that were mentioned during testimonies and prayer request time, and I just pray that you'd be in that and 
and heal and bind where needed, Father. We'll give you praise and honor and glory in all things, Father, whether it fits our uh, opinion or not. That doesn't matter, Father, as long as your will's done, we give you praise and we lift you up as the holy, most righteous king today. We ask all these things in your son's precious name.